Well, you're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com, and I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, law enforcement officers are often called on to provide counsel and comfort for people in need, colleagues, and even their own friends and families. It's difficult for law officers to ask for help in return. Having a chaplain available for difficult times can be a blessing, whether it is with a religious affiliation or not. Today's guest on Policing Matters is the kind of person you can count on to lend an ear and maybe offer some sage advice and guidance. Jared Altick has offered uh, full-time service in the church for over 25 years. He's been married to his beautiful wife since 1996, has five kids, and enjoys shooting, sports, and listening to podcasts. Jared has a long history of ministering to members of the military, law enforcement, and other first responders, and started serving Kansas City Police Department as a police chaplain in 2018. He focuses on the health and wellness of patrol officers and also responds unattended deaths such as homicides and suicides. Jared is also the host of Hey Chaplain podcast, the Hey Chaplain podcast. Gosh, I've got to turn that one on. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Chaplain Jared Altick. Hello, Jim. How are you? Oh, great. Great talking to you. Hey, how'd you get into the law enforcement um, focus in your chaplaincy? Well, I've had people that were telling me for years, you really ought to become a chaplain. And some of them meant like a military chaplain because we're close to Fort Leavenworth. And so all of the uh, majors, lieutenant colonels come here for schooling. And, and so I always was around a lot of military, a lot of, of law enforcement, a lot of first responders. And, and my predecessor, where I work at a church, he was a police chaplain. And so when I first got hired on, I worked with him and I saw him do that, but I never had any interest. I was never the kid who wanted to play cops and robbers. I never wanted to be a cop. I'd never really thought about law enforcement unless I saw the lights in my rearview mirror. And so, and so I, I didn't really give it much thought, but God kept putting cops in my church and, and I was watching them go through all the things they go through. And, and maybe the tipping point was hearing about um, death notifications where I'm, I'm seeing these young, you know, 20 something police officers who are, who are going and notifying someone that their child was killed in a car wreck or whatever it was. And I'm thinking why on earth with all the difficult things they do, why do they have to do that too? I can do that. I've been doing funerals for 25 years. Why I, I can, I can make that call. And, and so I started looking into it. I got some training and, and I, I went down and interviewed at, at our local police department and said, I'd like to, to be a chaplain. And so, and so I got involved and, and it's gone beyond the death notifications. I certainly do a lot of those, but, uh, but now I'm, I'm very much ministering to these young patrol officers. That's, that's my focus. I'm, I'm friendly with everybody in the department, but, but I'm really, I'm interested in those young patrol officers right out of the academy. How can I help them be successful and healthy and well-rounded? Yeah. And so what's, what's been your feedback? Uh, How do you win over confidence or do you aggressively (laughs) pursue gaining confidence or are you more passive? That's more art than science. There's, there's no way to just force yourself into a relationship with a cop. It's not going to happen. They're naturally suspicious of everybody. (laughs) And when you go into a roll call for the first time, 
they just stare at you. You know, why are you standing in the back of the room? This is so weird. Who, who is this outsider? And, and that's, that's difficult. And so you can't force it. Um, I aggressively pursue it by being present all the time. And so we have four divisions. I go around and I visit all four of those divisions uh, for every shift. And, and I make an effort on a regular basis to be available and present. And so the first two, three, four, or 10 times they see me, I may not even say anything. The sergeant will ask, you know, chaplain, you got anything? And I'll just say, nope, just making my rounds. And, and I'm just available. I'm just there. And over time, if a chaplain can prove that he's not got some ulterior motive, he's not looking to profit off of you or, or drag you kicking and screaming to his church service, if, if he can prove that he's trustworthy, then gradually you get behind the badge. But, but that, that could be a multi-year process. And so I'm at my department here four years, and, and I am reaching a point now where when I walk into a roll call, more than half of the officers smile and wave and are chatty with me, but, but it took a long time to get there. And so, so it's, it's, a, it's not something that you can just make happen. It has to happen organically. And if you're a fake, if, if, you're, if you're a chaplain for some ulterior motive, these guys are going to find you out. They are going to know it and they're going to smell it and, and you're not going to have a chance. Exactly. Yeah. Boy, you hit the nail on the head there. I, I relate to everything you said to the stoic faces, you know, teaching uh, groups and, you know, continuing uh, education and, and uh, just talking at roll calls, boy, you get the evil eye from the back and willing. good <laughs> yes. luck. Good luck over the next 10 years winning those last three cops. That's oh, my yeah, advice to yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. So what's the most challenging part of what you do? Uh, of course, death notifications are extremely hard. I've done a few. They are not pretty. I mean, some people just respond in sadness, but some, oh, yeah. some really are, you know, they want to blame somebody. Um, yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the death notification specifically, I mean, there is a process kind of a best practices, you know, being direct and to the point, you know, ripping the bandaid off, honestly, mm -hmm. is the mm -hmm. best way to do it. Uh, you don't want to come into a scene and be talking with a family member and so confusion. And so whether it's a death notification, or really, when I'm just called out like to a homicide, and I'm dealing with people who are standing at the yellow tape, it's important for me as a chaplain, even though I'm not a department employee, I do represent the department. And so I can't speculate. I can't get all um, overly emotional and excited and be like, we're going to catch that guy. Well, I, I can't guarantee that. And the investigation is just beginning. And so sometimes we don't even know the real circumstances. Is this a homicide or not? And, and, and do we know if the victim was actually the victim? I mean, someone dies that they may have been the perpetrator, you know? So, so right. we just don't know that stuff yet. And, and the, the fire and police both have a lot of jargon in what they do. And so when they're speaking to civilians, there's a lot of times miscommunication. And so even if, and that's assuming everybody's speaking English. And so, and so communication's a problem and chaplains can be one of the tools to kind of bridge that gap and play translator between a police sergeant or a detective 
and and the civilians that family who are emotional they're traumatized they are confused and they don't understand the process they they don't understand like let's say go to a homicide again they don't understand why that body is laying there it's been hours what's wrong why don't you care about us and what they don't understand is that we might be doing our very best to honor that victim their loved one by leaving everything exactly where it is so we can do all the high-tech photographic 3d imaging and everything else so that the detectives can have the best information and so that the jury eventually can have the best information and explaining that and kind of being an advocate for that investigation process is a role that i often find myself in as a chaplain where i'm not i'm not a cop but but i am you know connected to them and so i can kind of bridge the gap be that liaison and i'm not the only one i mean the department has public information officers there's victim services personnel there are, there are all kinds of people who can step into that role but the chaplain is one of them and some people might respond better to me uh, and some don't <laughs> some some see me coming they want nothing to do with me and and that's fine that's fine i'm not there to force you know whether it's a civilian or an officer i'm not there yeah. to force anybody to talk to me but sure. but i can be useful sometimes yeah how about i want to ask you about peer support programs uh, i want to ask if you're involved in them or if you have plans to start one up i, I was involved in one um for several years uh, my yeah my San Francisco PD. And, um, you know, sometimes an officer is more willing, maybe it's that trust factor to talk uh, more directly with a peer as opposed mm -hmm. to uh, somebody of rank or another authority figure. What do you, what's your take on peer support yeah, programs? Peer support is so important because there is a, um, a credibility gap. A lot of helpers, be they you know, psychiatrist or whoever, they don't have a credibility gap because they've never been inside a police car. They've, they've never been behind uh, a car that's been pulled over, you know, at, at a traffic stop. And, and you you really don't know, is this going to be the most benign situation or is this going to be a, a life-threatening situation? And that unknown, it, you can describe it to someone, but until you experience it, it's just you know, so there's a credibility gap with a lot of helpers. They they know the psychology, but they don't know the law enforcement experience. Sure. And so peer support is so valuable because ideally all of those officers have at least some common experience. And, and so peer support is very good in that way. The drawback is officers are also extremely reluctant to talk about their own vulnerabilities to people who might someday be their supervisor. You know, and so especially in smaller and mid-sized departments, peer support is still valuable, but it's difficult. Mm. It's almost better to have peer support from a neighboring agency come over and yeah. help. And that way they're they're kind of outsiders. And and that that is I think I feel like officers open up a little bit better to someone that they know is not ever going to be, you know, deciding their discipline or their promotions or what have you. Uh, and, and that's that's my advantage too as a chaplain. As a chaplain, I'm I'm an outsider. I'm I'm in the department. I speak their jargon. I am familiar with them. I've ridden in the car with them. I, I've been where they've been, but I'm also an outsider, and I'm not involved in their promotions or their discipline or anything else. They can talk to me, and I'm under layers of confidentiality. Nice. And that's that's a useful resource. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. 
Some people, some people want to talk to me and some people will probably never talk to me, mm-hmm. but, but I'm one option. So you have a department psychiatrist, you have peer support, you have outside agencies that can help. Um, and then you have a chaplain. So, you know, that makes me think about, you know, the officers who are involved in critical incidents or have seen something really horrific. Um, how do you explain the difference in resilience from officer to officer? You know, some may bounce back from, you know, something pretty traumatic, and then yeah. others uh, may carry it around for a long time, if not, you know, indefinitely. Um, yeah. yeah, what's the what's the answer there? Yeah, uh, it's difficult even talking about it because you have officers and soldiers, uh, Marines and others that that have been deeply damaged and may never quite be the same. And those people get a lot of attention in our society and a lot of sympathy, and that's good. But it's also there's a bad side to that, because what will happen is there are folks out there who think that all veterans, military veterans and all law enforcement officers are deeply damaged. They're a ticking time bomb about to go off because the job was so hard and everybody gets ruined by it. And that's just not true. That's not fair. There are people who have natural resiliency uh, because of genetics, because of their upbringing. If somebody was raised in a stable home where they went through their childhood and knew no violence at all, they were safe and secure, and they just kind of have a good genetic um, foundation, like there's not any kind of a psychological problem in their family history. Uh, those people just have a higher starting point. And then there's resiliency that you can learn, that you can be trained in, and, and you can, can learn to compartmentalize things and to handle things that have really good, healthy coping mechanisms. Uh, I'd, I'd love to, to move officers away from some of the historically bad coping mechanisms, like going to the bar after work. Yeah, that, that's just, it, it works. It works short term, mm. but it's bad long term. And so and so if you can have healthy coping mechanisms and you can train in resiliency and you had a good start to begin with, then honestly, you probably will experience a lot of trauma mm. without being uh, without having the syndrome, without being traumatized long term and having it ruin your life and your family's life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great explanation. I, I want to can this portion and, and bring it back because uh, you speak to that, you know, Hollywood and TV trope of the damage. You know, every officer's an alcoholic, every officer, yeah, yeah. you know, is sitting there looking at his gun every night. And, you know, it's dirty, hairy, lethal weapon, all of those tropes mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's, you know, sometimes the perception of the public. And I'd love to push that out there that, you know, the way you describe it, it almost sounds like when you go for surgery to repair, you know, a torn muscle or something. And the doctor says, you know, the the shape you're in before surgery will predict how well you recover. So I that's what it sounds like to to me. It, there is saying. that component. I think that I think you can prove that in in the literature. I think that that's that's evident, um, and it's not a hundred percent. I mean, because the trauma it depends on what the experience was, mm-hmm. and and some people have a single intense experience that just unnerves them. And it does damage that they could have survived a thousand smaller incidences, mm-hmm. but they, but they kind of hit that one that was just 
perfect to to hurt them and hurt them badly and so so you can't I mean, it's hard to talk about PTSD or any kind of, of officer distress because every officer is different and every experience is different. Mm. And, and you hear that in officers, they talk about each other and they judge each other's experiences. And they say, well, yeah, well, must have been tough sitting behind that desk. And, and they, <laughs> they, 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 you know, well, my town is much tougher. You know, I, we get in fights every day. And, and, and they, right. they judge each other based on whether they think that they've been through the same level of difficulty, but truth be told, even, even officers can't really evaluate, uh, someone else's trauma. It's, it's, it's very unique. It's very, uh, idiopathic. It's, it's unique to the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'd like to get into, you know, how you do what you do and, um, and how you plan ahead. But first I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. PoliceOne.com is the number one resource for your up-to-the-minute law enforcement news, training, and incident analysis. Our mission is to provide you with the information you need to better protect your communities and your safety. Becoming a Police One member is quick, easy, and free. Once registered, you will receive access to secure law enforcement-only training and video tips, articles and sections, and a subscription to our award-winning law enforcement newsletters. Go to policeone.com forward slash registration to sign up today. That's police one, the number one.com forward slash registration. And I'm back speaking with Chaplain Jared Altick, and he's a chaplain at Kansas City Police Department in Kansas City. And um, talking a little bit about how you plan your agendas, uh, you know, your programs, do you submit something to the leadership or command at the uh, department or do you work with them? You, you take uh, suggestions. How's that work? <laughs> um, we have, I certainly, as far as taking suggestions, uh, yeah, I carry a pager, you know, the very cutting edge of 1990s yes. technology. <laughs> and, and in our department, they actually give us a car and we take that car and that pager and that, that rotates from one chaplain to the next. And so right now I'm on for about a six day stint. And at the end of that, uh, tomorrow, I'll take the car and the pager to somebody else. And so dispatch will page us out for unattended deaths. And, and uh, we'll go out on scene if a sergeant or a captain calls us out there. And we'll deal with the public, we'll deal with the officers, we'll try to, you know, cover, we wear both hats, you know, we've got the short term responsibility with the public, uh, we probably never see them again. But the long term responsibility is the wellness of the officer. And, and that's something we keep coming back to and revisit. And a lot of that work is self-initiated by me. I need to, to follow up. I need to ask questions. I need to ask, you know, kind of keep my, my ear to the ground and my finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I miss a lot of stuff. I'm always looking for ways to get better involved and better connected to the ebb and flow of what's going on in the department, uh, whether it's dealing with their FOP or, or um, you know, how much overtime the guys are working right now, or, or you know, individual problems if they have a sick family member. I, I'm, I'm always trying to do a better job of learning that information and responding to it and knowing how to respond. Should I show up? Should I just send a text or make a phone call? Uh, that A lot of that is self-initiated. Now, at other departments, there sometimes will be a chaplain who is actually on staff and is organizing this. 
and and will will you know direct the chaplains to respond or or is something maybe very scheduled and and regimented uh, that's not really the case where i'm at uh, but but we're always looking to develop things like that to you know how can we better serve without being I, you want it to be natural and organic and and that's hard to do in an organization as soon as you have very many people it becomes bureaucratic and systematized and you have policies and procedures and that can ruin relationships. Everybody has this ideal that, yeah, I came on the force and that sergeant, that sergeant was like a big brother or maybe like a dad. And I had this great, great connection to him. Well, you don't always get that. Right. <laughs> and that great sergeant that you just fell in love with, that was the best sergeant ever. He gets transferred and moved over somewhere else. You never see him again. And you work for some joker that you don't respect and you don't like, and you know, and, and you just, that is the nature of large organizations. Mm, yeah. And so same thing with a chaplain. I wish I could be equally available to everybody who wants me there. I often can't be. It's it's oftentimes a lot of finding out too late that that something happened. And if you had been there, maybe you could have offered some some solace, some some care, some guidance. But you know, the opportunity's been missed. And you know, each one, each time that happens, it breaks my heart. But yeah. but that's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Well, you know, we often, you know, as, as police, um, you know, management leaders uh, think about systems that often end in, in punitive measures, right? Mm -hmm. When we try to keep the troops uh, together and early intervention systems certainly could benefit from uh, chaplains uh, as, as a measure of looking in on somebody who's been calling in sick when maybe they're not sick or they're in traffic <laughs> right. collisions or shooting their gun or some other discipline issue, you know, we often go straight to discipline without, you know, trying to fix the problem. And um, yeah, yeah a, a well-built early intervention system has chaplains uh, plugged in. Yeah. Ideally a chaplain could get in there and build a relationship and help get an officer through a difficult season and and be a healthy and productive member of the team down the road yeah. it, there are a lot we're, we're losing as far as like retention we're losing too many officers because they get beaten down they hear stuff in the news they hear stuff from family and and people in the in this in the community that that's negative and and destructive and then they have a couple bad experiences at at at, at work and i don't mean to belittle that it may be very serious sure. stuff but, but sometimes it's relatively minor and they're just they're so defeated all that took was that one last straw to break the camel's back and then they quit and they go do something else and some officers should i mean there are always there's always a bell curve and there's a percentage of officers who need to go sell insurance or do something else okay they're not meant to be police officers but we're losing officers who who could be good productive members of the team hmm. they just need to be in a different niche, you know, they need to find a different role in the department, or they mm -hmm. just need to muscle through with the people they're working with. Maybe there's kind of personality conflicts, and and if they could just move to a different shift or or have a different day off or something, it, it would it would mean the difference between them stopping their law enforcement career or continuing it to to the end. Yeah. And here in the state of Kansas, a law enforcement officer who's able to finish out and get all the way through he's got a good retirement coming i mean that that's a good you know financial decision to stick with the job but a lot of them are so demoralized that that they can't quite do it and and i feel like chaplains and several other resources also 
could help get an officer through that rough patch. And, and, and also, you know, there might be a time where I'd need to counsel an officer to, you know, consider doing something else for a living. Yeah. And, and that's appropriate for some, sure. but yeah. 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 Well, <clears throat> what about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about peer support programs, um, debriefings, the value of a chaplain at debriefings. You already talked about confidentiality. That's a good thing. Um, yeah, yes. You know, yeah. oftentimes in debriefings um, after a critical incident, maybe after a fatality, um, we used to take all the command people out of the room uh, right. and leave officers to talk with with some moderator, whether it's internal or external, but uh, I've always found it beneficial. What do you think? Oh, it's good. I have a running joke. I've done it several times where I'll be at a roll call and the sergeant, you know, he's asks if I have anything to say and I don't, I'm just there to visit. And he's like, Oh, well, do any of you officers have anything to say to the chaplain? And I, my standard joke is, they'll say in front of you, you know, (laughs) they're not going to say something in front of the sergeant. And so, and so I do believe it's, it's good. Um, I haven't done very many organized, okay, we're going to take the sergeants and the captains out of the room and the officers are going to talk to the chaplain as a group. I haven't done that very many times. Um, I certainly have done that with individuals after critical incidences, uh, where where I met them at the department, or they've come to my office at the church, or or wherever, sometimes just neutral site, and and talked with them. That's been very productive. But yeah, it, it's I, I think that there needs to be a time to talk because sometimes the supervisor is part of the problem, mm-hmm. and and there needs to be a way to do that. And and I think that does happen. I feel like I feel like people are pretty on top of that. Like, oh, hey, maybe if I step out of the room, that'll help them open up. Uh, to to whoever it is, it may not be the chaplain, maybe somebody else they're talking to, but, but I think it's a good thing. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to wrap up. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I want to ask you, this is an important question. I want you to consider this because, you know, you go, you, you, you know, people burden you with, and you, you probably don't see it as a burden, but they unload with some, you know, pretty serious stuff and you yeah. go to death scenes and, deal with distraught family members. What do you do for yourself to unwind, take time for your own physical and mental well-being? Do you do you, do you buy a, an app or do you run marathons? <laughs> what are you doing out there? I, I like to shoot. Um, I, I mean, ammunition has been awfully expensive the last couple of years, but, but I like to, I like to go shooting and uh, that's a good time too, to, to spend with people. You know, it's not counseling. It's just, Hey, we're going to go shoot together. Mm-hmm. And, and if, and I think your audience is probably pretty familiar with shooting as the way to, to kind of, um, work things out. It's very cathartic to, to shoot, to go, I'm going to go destroy that target. Uh, even on indoor range, hitting paper targets, it's still pretty satisfying. And if you can go outdoors and shoot something else, that's pretty fun too. But, um, but Inanimate I like to do objects. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're just, I mean, it really, it's, it's the, it's the, um, it's the explosion and the danger of it all. I, I, there's something, it's just, it's, it's fun to shoot. And, and so that's a, it's a, it's a good hobby, do it safely and, and, you know, teach, teach people gun safety and that kind of thing. That that's, that's an important thing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I like to do that. Um, 
and I like to, I like to study. I like to read. I like to, to learn. I love to love to listen to audiobooks and podcasts. I just, I have my earbuds in all the time listening to something new because I, I'm always wanting to learn more. And uh, as a chaplain, I, I definitely feel like I'm behind the eight ball because there I've, I've never been a sworn officer. And so I'm constantly learning, well, this is how the FOP works, or this is how something in the department works. And, and I'm always playing catch up. And so, so if I can listen to your show or anything else and just kind of get an idea about, well, this is how policy works, or here's the, the, the current thinking on a certain area of law enforcement, I'm, I just gobble that up every chance I get. Oh, nice. Well, thanks. Thanks for, thanks for the shout out. So you have a podcast. I am signing up for it today and uh, it's Hey Chaplain, the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how do, how do our listeners, they just subscribe on Apple and Audible yeah, and it's, Spotify? It's everywhere. Um, yeah. I've been doing it for about seven months and I spent about a year when COVID started, I thought, you know, I need to to have a hobby. If we're going to be quarantined inside our homes, I need to figure out, you know, some sk new skill I can learn. Sure. And so I learned podcasting and YouTubing and that kind of thing. And I spent about a year preparing to launch the podcast. And it is basically just uh, wisdom, support, and encouragement for law enforcement. My intended audience is law enforcement and law enforcement family, and maybe mm. other chaplains as well. Um, I want to hear, you know, they're all interviews. And so I want to hear uh, you know, officers tell about their story and share some wisdom. Um, and I've had really good success with, with officers all over the country from, from, you know, Washington, DC to, to LA getting on the show and telling their stories and, and being able to, to share some encouragement about law enforcement. We live in such a, a discouraging atmosphere right now in our society about law enforcement. I, I, I want there to be some encouraging words that say, hey, this is a noble profession. And this is this is good. And this is this is a a incredibly godly thing to go to go, you know, willing to sacrifice yourself, you know, put yourself in danger and run toward the sounds of danger. That, that's a good thing. And we want to celebrate that. We want to talk about all the difficulties, everything from, from family to finances to different types of jobs in law enforcement. You know, how can, how can I be more successful in this career and as someone in law enforcement? And, and so I share those stories and it's gone, like I said, it's gone really well. And people, different countries are listening to it and all around the country here in the United States. And it's been, it's been really good. That's yeah. great. Terrific. All right. I plan on it. And uh, well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. You bet. And listeners, what do you think? Uh, send us your emails, send us your suggestions. Who do you want to hear from? Check out Jared Altick, the chaplain at Hey Chaplain podcast. If you're enjoying our show, make sure and subscribe, check in at Apple Podcasts and give us a rating. Uh, we're on Spotify, Audible, anywhere you get your podcasts. Send us a note at policing matters at police1.com. That's policing matters at police1.com. All right, take care of yourself. And I hope to hear from you. And I uh, hope you listen in again for the next show. Take good care. I'm Jim Dudley.